All right. Thank you very much. Uh, John chapter 20. Uh, we'll go through John chapter 20 and 21. So this completes the whole gospel of John. Uh, I didn't just erase that to erase what you wrote. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to write some Greek words up here. Um, we won't get to these till later, but... Okay, that's for the end of 21. I just want to make sure I get to that because sometimes we bog down, but I want to make sure we get to that because I get to use my Greek. So it's not every day you can use Greek, believe me. Um, I've often wanted to make money by knocking doors in the neighborhood and saying, could you use some Greek uh, knowledge? I have some for sale. Um, but I don't, it just doesn't work that way somehow. Um, okay. So, John chapter 20, uh, the resurrection, so that's why we sang that song. Uh, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So, first day of the week is important. Um, Every gospel has Jesus raising on the first day of the week, probably while we're here on Sunday. So, I think in John's gospel in particular, since it started with, in the beginning was the word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. That connects to creation. Uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So it took seven days to create the first time. Now we have a new creation. So I think this is a connection that, that John would approve of if he were here today. Uh, so we had seven days to create. Now we, we start over with on the first day of the week with an eighth day new creation, resurrection, connection. Does that make sense to you? So I think that might be there. Um, Mary Magdalene um, is mentioned only here in John. Uh, She's mentioned in the other Gospels, and she has a pride of place in John's Gospel as the apostle to the apostles, the first to see Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, One of the things that strikes me as we read through this is that nobody was expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. So we're going to see a lot of people see Jesus and not know it's Jesus because that's not what they were expecting. I think that helps us um, when we think about did the resurrection really happen? Do these eyewitness testimonies have the ring of truth to it? Uh, The fact that it's Mary Magdalene who's the first to see Jesus um, in the ancient world Females were not given the respect they are due. I um, don't know if that's changed totally, but uh, maybe we're doing better. Uh, so if you were going to make up a story about who, who Jesus appeared to, it might not be who you would choose him to appear to. Uh, and the fact that uh, they probably weren't expecting this as to the idea that this was uh, something that really happened, not something they made up because they wanted it to happen. Okay? So... Uh, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So the assumption is somebody's stolen the body. Uh, So Mary Magdalene runs to Peter, and this is probably John, the beloved disciple. Lots of running in the resurrection 
stories. So there's going to be running here. Uh, John and Peter have a famous race um, to the tomb. Maybe John is younger. I think he beats Peter to the, to the tomb. Um, so one of the issues, if you've read all four Gospels and how the resurrection appearances happen, is if we try to go back and try to figure out, okay, well, he appeared, there were these people at the tomb, and then there's these people, and then these people tell these people. It's really difficult to harmonize all the different stories. So some people point to that and say, look, these stories don't even match. But I think it may have a ring of historical truth because something like this happens. You've got people running back and forth. You've got the word kind of spreading, and you know how that goes when, when an event happens. So maybe it's in some ways the way we might expect it to be, that some people hear s- certain parts of the story, and when you try to put it all together, if you've ever like been in a car accident, even a fender bender, and you try to reconstruct what happened with all the eyewitness testimony, sometimes it's difficult to figure out exactly what happened when. Does that make sense? So, uh, lots of running here. Um, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So a couple things here I want to think with you about. Uh, John has a lot of details about the cloth. Why, Why do you think he mentions that the face cloth was still separate from the other claws and they saw the claws lying there? What's... (laughs) <laughs> Did you say to debunk or to set up the, the Shroud of Turin? You know, I, I never thought much of the Shroud of Turin. Then I read a scholar one time who made me think, there might be something to that. I hate to even mention that, but uh, there might be something to that. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's not as easy to debunk as I thought. Other, what, what's going on with the cloths? Yeah. Yeah. And thieves probably wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap it. So maybe it it's Yeah, if if you're unwrap if if you're stealing the body, you just steal the body, you won't take the time to unwrap it and you probably wouldn't take the time to make the face cloth separate from the So what's what happened in the resurrection? What is John implying happened? Like I'm done, clear up my mess. 
Well, I heard it explained that Jesus carefully folded up just to let him know if he's got to come back again. Wow. I had not heard that before. Have you heard that? I'll look at my book of Jewish traditions from the first century. <laughs> the problem is there is no such book and the traditions are hard to date exactly how far back they go. So that's, that's the kind of thing that would be hard to do. But Wow. And this would be a good, we could use this in Sunday school for our kids. Like Jesus made his bed. Okay. So, uh, even when he raised from the dead, you know, took the time to fold the claws. Um, George, I do think yeah. I do think that John's trying to tell us something that that something wild happened, and I would cite the the uh, word he uses for how the stone got moved, because the, if you've ever been to Israel and you've seen the stones, it's these huge round millstones, mm -hmm. and they're built in a channel, and so we teach kids that the stone was rolled away. Notice the word that John uses here. That stone wasn't rolled. It was removed. You can't, What's the difference? You can't physically do that. It would take an so, army of men to lift that stone and move it out of its channel. It naturally is rolled. This stone was removed. But could remove mean that it was rolled back? <laughs> removed from the entrance? Not at all. I think the whole thing he's trying to say in the folds, he's trying to say something miraculous. I think there's got to be something. So I think he's, he's setting up, you know, why did John believe? What did John believe when he looked in? He saw and believed. So if you believe, as a, as a first century Jewish person, um, maybe not that. So he believed differently than Mary Magdalene. The, the body had not been stolen, but he saw the cloth there, and he's like, oh, a resurrection happened. So... The disciples did not expect, the resurrection to them didn't mean Jesus went to heaven uh, as a spirit. Resurrection, properly thought of, is our physical bodies will rise from the dead. So Jesus has a physical body, but it's not, this, it's not normal physical body. It's, it's, he's been raised to a different phase of life. So there have been other resuscitations, Lazarus raised from the dead but raised back to normal life Jesus come you know there was something about Lazarus's grave cloths right Jesus says unwrap him and set him free but Jesus didn't have to be unwrapped because he just kind of I guess is he is he saying that he just kind of the grave cloths couldn't hold him anymore he just kind of went through them and we're going to see in the story that he kind of appears through in locked rooms and things like that so he, he is still has a physical body. We're going to see that with Thomas. But it's a physical body that's of this world, but also beyond this world. So it, and, and it's a, we're going to have to talk about how we, uh, what our bodies will look like resurrection-wise. Similarly, we'll be of the world, but not exactly in the world. Okay? Well, let's keep reading and see if we can get some more ideas um, on the table. Uh, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. 
he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is, who is it you're looking for? Is he playing with her a little bit here? I don't know. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, uh, tell me where you put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, and this is a difficult word to translate, uh, the newer translations are going to say, do not hold on to me. If you have a King James, it might say, do not touch me, which I think can be confusing. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So uh, I think it's confusing if you translate it, do not touch me, because some people take that to mean, you know, Jesus, his body wasn't, it's hard to know what he means by that, don't touch me. Um, Does your translation, does everybody have something like, do not hold on to me? Don't cling to me? So his point is not that, hey, you can't touch me because my body's weird or something like that. And we see that with Thomas later where Thomas touches him. Uh, but he's saying, this is, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm not, I'm not here f- forever and ever. Um, and he had told him before that when he leaves, he will send the comforter, the spirit to be with him. So the point is that don't cling on to me. Does that make sense to you? <coughs> And it's just, it's just interesting that he, he says her name. So, then she's... Okay. So, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So this is the uh, Johannine Pentecost. Um, Now we know that in Luke's Gospel and in the beginning of Acts, there's this, and the sermon today is on Pentecost. So there's a 50 days uh, intervene between them receiving the Spirit and Jesus' uh, death on Passover. So, uh, what do we do with this? I think it's interesting that this new Bible is so old. It still has the wounds. Yeah. I find that very intriguing. Yeah. That even though it's a new body, a different body, it still has the wounds from the old life. Yeah. Am I going to have hair? And the new, new, I just want to know that. I mean, on my head, not on the back. Like, uh, yes? One thing about coming through the wall, C.S. Lewis somewhere talked about that the new body is more real, like in his view of heaven. They're more real, like we can walk through a fog because we're more real. So Jesus' mm. new body can walk through a wall because he's did everybody hear that so like we can walk through fog because we're more substantial than fog and Jesus can walk through a wall because he's in this phase of existence where he's more real than the wall or something more substantial yeah he can 
change in appearance now also he can not be recognized yeah Oh yeah, I just <laughs> shape shift. Yes. Uh, Jesus was walking through material uh, throughout the Gospels. Yeah. So Elsewhere. <laughs> He's in a a new phase in some ways because you know it's it's hard to know. You know, so in Luke's Gospel, he's four, he spends forty days with uh, disciples teaching them. Uh, and I just wonder, does he is he up in heaven for a while and he comes down and visits with them, or is he just kind of what's he doing during these forty days? Yeah. It's it's somebody should write a book about this. Of course, nobody knows exactly what. It's a mystery that only God knows. But it's just hard to know exactly what his phase of existence is here, and he still eats. Um, in this gospel, so does he need? See, I think in the the, ne- the new heavens and new earth, we'll still eat because we enjoy eating. I mean, eating is an enjoyable experience. Um, and I don't know if he needed to eat; like he got hungry. It doesn't say he gets hungry, but he still eats. So, wouldn't it be fun to eat even if you're not hungry? I mean, I, we do that a lot, but I do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And on the road to Emmaus story in, in Luke's gospel, he they don't recognize him. He walks with them for a while and listens to their conversations about him to see what they're saying. Yeah. Um so he in John's gospel, what I think John is doing here is he's telescoping the event. So Jesus is breathing on them saying receive the Holy Spirit in John he knows he's not going to extend the story out like Luke does so he wants to get that gift of the Holy Spirit in. Do we allow the gospel writers the freedom to tell the story? I, I think we have to. If you start looking at all the different gospels and trying to piece together every little thing we have to, to let it be their genre and their purpose was not to give just a straightforward history of day by day exactly what happened or word for word exactly what happened. They're, they have the freedom to, to adjust the story. They're not making it up, but they're interpreting. It's interpretation on top of description. And that's just their genre, and I think we have to allow them to do that. Does that make sense? What do you think, Randall? I'm sorry, I was laughing at, <laughs> at the baby. <laughs> she did. She did frown right about the scripture in one hand. The baby frowned at my interpretation, so maybe it's not. I think one of the things here is that John is making it up close and personal. In the mm-hmm. other gospels, it's a group of women at the tomb. Here, it's Mary. Yeah. It, you could have all the disciples running to the tomb, but it's just Peter and the beloved one. Yeah. And here it's up close and personal. It's not Pentecost with this large group of people. It's with his close disciples together, and he breathes on each yeah. one of them, and you know, and the Holy yeah. Spirit comes. So it's, yeah. it's my story because yeah. that can happen for me too. Yeah. And I receive yeah. the Holy Spirit. 
And so it's not that it's, it's just different from Luke's story, but that's probably how they felt about it when it happened. Jesus is breathing on us, the Spirit. Yeah. So it could be, could be two different stages of receiving the Spirit. That's possible as well. Yeah. Um, we'll see that in uh, the other Gospels. Jesus says to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. But here in John's Gospel, they're going to go to Galilee in the next chapter. That's awkward. Uh, so what are they doing in Galilee? So if you go back and try to, so I guess the way I understand it is they go to Galilee, they go back to fishing, which is what they're used to, but then when it's time for Pentecost, like uh, good Jews, they go back to Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus says, hey, wait to receive the Spirit here. So I think there are ways to fit all this together. Some people who are not as... uh, gracious toward the Gospels as I am, say, hey, look, they've got mistakes all through this thing. Some people have them going to Galilee. Some people say, stay in Jerusalem. I think there's a way to harmonize if you have Jesus say, wait, after they come back to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. That's, but I, I believe, I have a high view of Scripture, so that's why I try to do that. I can understand why people say, hey, look, they, they make mistakes. Not, not that it would be a huge thing if it is a mistake, or not, whatever, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, this, uh, I don't really like this passage. If you forgive the sins of anyone, your sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Um, I don't like that. Because God forgives sins, right? But maybe what he's saying is that, so G, now they realize in ways that they hadn't before that Jesus is the way to God. They are to be messengers of the gospel, and Jesus is uh, the means that God has chosen to reveal himself uh, as a forgiving, loving God. And so as you preach the gospel, people believe in Jesus, their sins are forgiven. People don't believe, they remain in their sins, which um, sins is just a bad way of life. It's, It's not the best way to live. So Jesus... Following Jesus is going to be the best way to live your life. Something along those lines. That's how I think about it. Okay. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Both of those words apparently mean twin. Um, One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Doubting Thomas is what we call him. Doubting Thomas. Now, is do you blame Thomas? I think. Yeah. I think in some way Thomas is standing in for us because we have not seen. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've always thought he's hearing this from a few people. 
Like, can you imagine the garbled facts that these people mm-hmm. are throwing at him excitedly, and and he can't make any sense of it, and so he says, "I, I got to see this. Got to see it for myself." Yeah. Yeah. And. Fake news has always been a problem, hasn't it? Like it's on a Facebook post, and he's like, I'm not sure this really happened. It's on your Facebook feeds that Jesus came back, but I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. Um, Yeah. uh, Obviously, there was something Jesus telling them to stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. They still didn't have at this point. They're still reasoning Mm -hmm. through. They didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. They're surprised Mm -hmm. that he's gone and all. So I've, I've always looked at this uh, as Thomas is saying, you know, there have been other messiahs that came along through here. Yeah. There have been other people that claim to be the Son of God, too. Yeah. Uh, okay, I want to see this myself. I know what mm-hmm. you say you saw. I want to see this yeah. myself. The only thing I can't really put with that is Jesus kind of a put down on him saying, well, you saw and believe, so but blessed are those who don't see. That's where I think he's... he's standing in for us so he allows Jesus to give that line Um, but Jesus is gracious toward Thomas right he he doesn't say well how dare you ask for evidence I'm not going to give you any you need to just believe this he actually provides evidence so you know it's uh, doubting Thomas maybe I mean he's just kind of normal person Thomas uh, that wants to see and then then believe um So, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Where was Thomas the week before? Why was he not there? What was he out doing? I don't know. Uh, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting, and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So, some people think chapter 20 was originally the last chapter of John just because it comes full circle here. Um, John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And it's taken the whole gospel for them to finally realize who Jesus is. Now, there are some Christian groups, I think of Jehovah's Witness, who don't think that Jesus was really God. And it's interesting in their uh, commentary, I heard this somewhere, I think it may be in their New World Translation. They have, the way they explain it is Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord, and then he looks up to heaven and he goes, and my God. You know, so there's always ways of interpreting the language to fit your theology. But it seems to me that this is a bold statement of Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. So it, it brings the Gospel of John full circle. Uh, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's a great ending. I mean, get in right there, and that'd be good. Um, But then we have chapter 21, so we have a little bit of time here. Um, So I think maybe um, there was 
at the very end of chapter one, there's some confusion about John's, maybe John's nearing the end of his life now, and there was this talk about Jesus said John would never die, and he wants to correct that. So maybe he comes back and adds, I need to add a little episode here. And it also is to Peter's credit because Peter gets restored here. So afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. So they're back in, in Galilee now. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. That's always seemed backwards to me. Put your clothes on and then jump in the water, but I guess he didn't want to leave his garment on the boat or something. Maybe he didn't think it would, I don't know. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus already had fish, but he helped them catch some fish. Um, and this also, doesn't this have a ring of truth to it? I mean, if you were making up a story about what Jesus did after his resurrection, I'd ha have him appear to Pilate and the high priest and go, look at me, you know, look what you did. Uh, but he's making breakfast for some people on the side of a lake. That, I don't know, it's just very, if you're going to make up a great story, I mean, that's not a story you'd make up, it seems to me. Um, Bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So this is, they, knew, they know now that Jesus is appearing to them. Uh, Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So a lot of speculation about 153 fish. Why 153? Randall, what do you think about that? I, I mean, there's so many theories. Jewish gematra. There's, yeah. There's, 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 Wikipedia is full. If you look up the entry for 153, it's full. Of it. so, yeah. but, but 153 is a weird number. There's a lot of unique properties. It's it's. There are a lot of ways you can add up to 153. The, the first 17 integers all added are 153. Can you wake, can you wake me up when you're done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but there are a lot of weird yeah, things yeah. about one. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly, there's 153 mentions of Yahweh in the book of Genesis. See, so, when, when all you have is a number and you're trying to figure out what it represents, it's hard. If you know what it represents and you make up the number, that's the easy way. Uh, that's what John had. Um, I, it's, a, it's a notable event for the, the apostles, so it, it's not surprising that they would count the fish and say, hey, man, we got 153 fish. That's a lot of fish, if you're a fisherman uh, and know about that. Uh, but I think there's something about number of Gentile nations or there's something along the lines. There, I mean, there's lots of possibilities of 
what it represents. Yeah, but back in the 60s, yeah. someone had said there are 153 nations in the world. Yeah. Of course, that's no longer true. Yeah. So, problem. Yeah, <laughs> that is problematic if they like start the adding. The integers. Georgia sounds fishy. I'm over 40. I'd get one of them. Taft said it sounds fishy to him. I don't know if you heard that or not. I'll put that on the recording so everybody gets a, that pun. Okay. But this allows for uh, a great interaction between Jesus and Peter because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And I think. Uh, the significant thing here is for Peter to be restored by uh, affirming his love for Jesus three times. So, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus used a different word in Greek. No, that's not what it says. Uh, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Okay. So, famously, if you, is this famous? Do you know that there's different words for love here? Uh, and different preach, I'd be interested to hear different theories about this. Um, so, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape, which uh, we are usually told means unconditional love. Uh, Peter says, you know that I phileo you. And we're typically told that's friendship type of love. So Jesus says, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's like, I like you like a friend. <laughs> and then Jesus says, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, I like you like a friend. And then Jesus condescends to Peter's word and says, do you like me like a friend? And Jesus says, I mean, and Peter says, I love you like a friend. Have you heard that? I heard it taught that I think that this shows that Jesus is willing to take whatever feelings we have toward him and he kind of condescends to Peter. Have you ever heard that? No. What's going on with the different words for love here? Yeah. I wrote a paper on that. I can't remember if it was for you or So he's humbly saying, you know, I, I've denied you, so I can't use agape. I'll use phileo. Yeah, that's, 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 that
That's yeah. one theory I've heard. Of. Yeah. What grade did you get on that paper? <laughs> 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 okay. Jordan, I've always yeah. I, and I don't I don't know how all that work, works out. But I've always the first question that Jesus asked. I've always in my mind, or where they are, is on the Sea of Galilee. There's palm trees. It's gorgeous. The Sea of Galilee early in the morning is still perfect water skiing. You know, it's still just as far as you can see. And Peter is at home. Mm -hmm. He's doing what he does. Right. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me more than this? Yeah. yeah. And I think that was a real soul-searching moment. Yeah. I, th I definitely think that the main point is the three times. We get bogged down because we spend... I mean, we spend so much time learning Greek, those of us that spend time learning Greek. Whenever it comes in, we're like, we got to make a point of this because I spent a lot of time learning this. Um, I think, and this is unsatisfactory to many people and even to me, I think it's just variety is the spice of life, the way John tells the story. I, I, the... The use of synonyms, like synonym, there's no exact synonyms that overlap 100%. And my, my example for this I get from Dimitri Martin. I'm sorry and I apologize mean the same thing unless you're at a funeral. Okay, so there, there are a lots of contexts where I'm sorry and I apologize mean the same thing. There's certain contexts where they don't mean the same thing. So. Agape and phileo overlap, and if you look at how John uses, and um, if you look at John chapter 5, verse 20, John writes that the father phileos the son. And then in John chapter 3, verse 35, he says that the father agapes the son. So I don't think there's a difference there. When he says, feed my lambs, and then he says, feed my sheep, different word for lambs and sheep. I've never heard a sermon on why he switched from lambs to sheep. Uh, I've heard sermons on why he switches the love, but there's lots of switches here, several switches that, so could it be that just variety is the spice of life, he switched it up? Again, I don't, I mean, I've heard some people say maybe, you know, agape is what you, you love your enemies with agape love. So the way it may go is Peter's like, hey, I don't just agape you, you know, we're tight. We're like friends type of love. So that, that makes more sense to me that Peter would want to up the word than that Peter would, I don't know, James left, because I can say his paper's wrong. But. So, so what, what about the possibility that John is kind of saying something side-eye about Peter and how he acted before? I mean, maybe he's still... A little bit like, well, this guy got put back, but remember what he did, <laughs> right? Keeps I mean, bringing it up, yeah. 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 It's a little jab. Peter's like, come on, John, you put it in your gospel. But no, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> he put the restoration in there. Yeah. I, think that, I think the main point of this is not the different words for love, but the main point is that Jesus restores Peter 
uh, in a loving, and it looks like a private way, a private conversation. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. And so we're putting a myth or myth, evil Greek into John's gospel. Yeah. And we're making it say something it wasn't. Yeah. Rather than paying attention to how John used the language, and John used it synonymously, which tells us that the point is not the differences, because John doesn't do that. Yeah. The point, I think, is those three. And maybe it's, it can be problematic if we say, oh, he just wants mediocre love or friend love. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he wants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the problem throughout John seems to be folks like Nicodemus who want to put a toe in to be partial. Yeah. But the better thing is you got to be all in. And because you're, there's things for you to do. Peter needs to start doing things. It's not just about relationship with Jesus. It's about... Leto to be you know, killed from the persecuted layer. Yeah. I mean, he's saying this is going to cost him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think so. All right, I'm sorry. That's the best I can do with the Greek words of love there. Uh, if it's disappointing to you, come up with another idea. Maybe you'll be right. This is another thing to li add to the list of things to ask in heaven. So, when we see, or I mean, new heavens, new earth. So when we have these new bodies, we can just, I'll peer through a wall in John's house and say, hey, what did you mean by the phileo agape? <laughs> Jesus was speak, speaking Aramaic anyway, so it's not like it's word for word. Okay. Thank you very much for your attendance and participation in this class.